Welcome to the podcast with a purpose with information and content meant to motivate, aspire and inspire you from romance author and host Chamira E. Fleming, but you can call her my welcome to an experience. This is the Purple Charm Experience. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Purple Charm Experience. Each week that we come together, I like to share a quote that I feel that is motivating, something that we can all aspire to, and something that is also inspirational to us, hence the word my, something that I use all the time um, when I'm talking about the things that we should be motivated and inspiring and inspiring uh, by. And so today's quote comes from um, a well-known author, poet by the name of Phyllis Wheatley. And I will get into talking more about her later in the episode. But I wanted to start the show off with uh, a quote by her and it states, in every human beast, God has implanted a principle, which we call love of freedom. It is impatient of oppression and pants for deliverance. I want us all to think about that. I want us all to think about that because we all, we all look for the opportunity to be free. We all want the opportunity to be and do the things that we want to do. We can't do it when we're being oppressed by a system, by other people, by um, what have you, whatever it is. You can't be all that you are meant to be if you're oppressed. And you also seek for the opportunity to be delivered from whatever it is that could be oppressing you to keep you from having that freedom. And I just wanted to think about that today. Um, and it probably will have a underlying theme in the, the discussion that I'll be talking about um, in just a moment, because I think it relates to the life that this person lived and what she was seeking um, throughout her lifetime. And so um, I'm going to leave it right there. And I am just implore you to think about this quote a little bit more in depth. And uh, hopefully it gives you some inspiration going forward. Welcome, everyone. Um, Just a moment ago, I kicked off the episode sharing a quote by um, a well-known poet and author by the name of Phyllis Wheatley. And today I wanted to just talk a little bit more in depth about her and, you know, some of the things that I've learned about her that has, you know, given me some, some things to think about and um, and some things that she's done in her lifetime that's, you know, given me new 
renewed motivation as an author. And as I ruminate on my journey as an African-American romance author, and think about what it means to stand on the shoulders of other women who look like me and that came before me, um, particularly women in the romance writing space. Now, although um, Phyllis is not a woman that um, wrote in the romance um, space, um, I will, you know, I will speak about her because I feel like her, her, um, her existence and um, what she means to the history, our, I mean, you know, American literature and our history is is very important. And it's not so much um, who she was, but it is her accomplishments of you know, of her time that inspires me today. Um, and I hope that you will be engaged to take a journey with me over the next few weeks as I explore and share the lives and legacies of some of these women, um, particularly for African-American women that I've chose that I feel um, that are vital to my journey as a romance author. And I would be remiss if I did not at least acknowledge them on my journey and refer to them often in my quest to become um, a best-selling author, to become someone who leaves a legacy for other people to follow a blueprint of my work, a blueprint and breadcrumbs of how to get to where I am and where I've been. And so as an author, you know, there are many places to find motivation and inspiration um, to tell a story. We find it in the people that we know. We find it in how we interact with others. We find it in nature. We find it in the simplest things in life, um, stories to tell stories that uplift, you know, that pushes people to action, to um, consider things that are perspectives that they may not have thought about before. And the women I'm going to highlight, they, they do not inspire me because of what their chosen genre to write in was. Um, but their journey to become who they are to American literature is what motivates and inspires me. You know, I, I don't, I can't really say that I have, I necessarily have like a, a specific um, romance author that I love to read. Sure, I have, you know, different authors that I enjoy the works, um, their works over the years from many different genres but you know some people can just pick out like a a favorite author from the genre that they write in that that inspired them to write and that's not the case for me I just began writing because I enjoy writing I enjoy um seeing people respond to my work 
And I always have. I've always had a way with my words and speaking to people's hearts and minds. And that's what drove me to be the writer that I am. And I just happen to do it in a space that really tugs at your heartstrings. And I enjoy writing about romance and love. And so when I decided to, to, to look at the lives and legacies of these four women, um, I wanted to be specific because I feel like not enough is said about these women. Um, sure, we know about them. Sure, they made some of them best-selling authors. Some of them have made significant strides in um, American culture. But we don't talk about them enough, in my opinion. And so this week, I chose to focus on the first of the four, which is Phyllis Wheatley. And my journey and exploration, journey of exploration begins here because I think about how she's paved the way for me. You know, she was born in circa 19, 1753, excuse me. And she eventually um, becomes the first African-American author of a published book of poetry. And, you know, she was kidnapped from uh, Gambia, which is Senegal, modern day West Africa, and brought to Boston, Massachusetts aboard a slave ship in 1761 and was purchased by John Wheatley to become the personal servant to his wife, Susanna. And the Wheatleys noticed Phyllis's precociousness when she was a young girl and educated her. And, you know, during that time, that, of course, that is not something that was customary. Um, And the enslaved was not, (laughs) we all know, was not allowed to read or write at that time let alone become educated enough to do going to do what she did, which was within 16 months of arriving in America, being able to read the Bible, Greek and Latin classics and British literature. Unheard of. Unheard of. And she began writing poetry. And by the age of 13, she would publish her first poem in 1767. You know, it goes without saying, you know, a lot of times, you know, some of us are given opportunities and um, chances that other people do not have. I imagine during her time, You know, growing up, being able to to have those types of opportunities afforded to her. um, I wonder how how she how that made her feel knowing that she had 
this at her hand, you know, at her fingertips. And there's so many others that looked like her at that time that were being beaten, that were being hung, that were experiencing the hardships of the slave trade and of slavery. And here she was, a little black girl um, who was kind of frail, um, given an opportunity because the family that she was sold to saw something in her, something special in her. And at least embraced it and allowed it to grow. You know, after exploring and reading about Phyllis Wheatley's history, for me, there were three things that I've been reminded of as it relates to my writing. And I think about one of the things that I thought about is that she was fortunate. And although she was enslaved, the Wheatley family embraced her intellect and abilities as a writer, affording her the opportunity to write freely and publish her work. They supported her. They traveled with her to uh, to the Brit to uh, Britain and helped her publish, get her work out into society for people to read. Um, she was able to read, meet George Washington and so many others because of her writing ability and because of her ability to make them um, realize that she was more than someone that was enslaved. And I'm reminded that it is because so many of my ancestors were seen as inferior and as property that I must never waste the opportunities that I'm given or receive as a result of my writing. And paralleling, you know, showing the parallels of being fortunate enough to have these opportunities, one during a time when everyone was enslaved and now when there's so many opportunities for me to excel and truly take advantage of the opportunities that I've been given because of those things that have happened to my my ancestors you know I I I cannot allow my gifts and talents to lay dormant and not use them accordingly and appropriately to either affect change to um, inspire somebody else to do the same or to even just do more just use my voice in a way that is amplified like she did and she definitely did Number two, one of the the second thing that I found that, you know, her legacy reminds me of is to be prolific in my writing, to sharpen my skills as an author. But more than that, it reminds me that there will come a day and time when my voice will be silenced and I will cease to exist 
So I found myself asking what better way to make sure my voice is heard now and when I'm gone then now and when I'm gone then to write prolifically now and to share my thoughts as often as possible and so you know this is the one reason why I'm I find myself every little thing that I'm thinking I'm jotting it down and every little idea that I can possibly become a story or become something that can help someone else through a blog or a guest blog post or whatever I'm trying to do and using this this platform the podcast as a way to share my thoughts and my um my dreams and you know what's in my heart with the world because these words will live on the things that I write will live on I won't be here but it will remain and she taught me that because there were so many things that she was writing before she died up until her death she was writing prolifically um, constantly and um, had she had had the support that she needed in her last days to get the remaining pieces of her work published we may have been able to see more of her work surface but we didn't and finally um the thing the last thing that i i choose to um take from her legacy as a reminder for me is to remember to choose the right people to surround myself with because I didn't do all of what I'm doing for nothing. And I think, you know, we can all take that lesson. Um, You know, Phyllis did a lot in her her lifetime, short lifetime. She did a lot, got a lot done, became the first (laughs) to do, uh, to do something within our community, the African-American community. Um, being an enslaved woman, you know, she she traveled, you know, internationally. Her work is known internationally. And yet, um, because of who she decided to surround herself with affected her legacy. You know, it's very important to me to maintain close circles of people that I care about and that care about me, but also people who won't tarnish or damage the work that I'm putting in to um, leave behind one day. And I, my heart, you know, breaks and goes out to Phyllis because she died with nothing and lost everything because of her husband. Yeah, in the reading it says he was a, a you know, well, a well, good-looking, well-dressed man, and um, and that he was a grocer, failed grocer, but then he, you know, they also talked about him being a con man, and 
that he um, was in a lot of debt and he ended up uh, being in prison for the debts that he owed by the time, you know, Phyllis was on her deathbed. And it's unfortunate because they live, and when they first got married, they lived a life that was seemingly like they were doing just fine. And then all of a sudden, these debts caught up with them. And I won't get into, you know, the background of her husband, but the lesson that is to be, lesson to to learn here is to be cognizant of who you let into your life, you know, even your significant other spouse can be someone that you might have to let go. You may not see it in the beginning and you end up married to them, possibly, and then things don't work out or you see things going south and you just got to let it go. In her case, she should have just let it go. And I think listening and following the wrong individuals when you are making significant moves in your life, like she was, can be detrimental to your legacy. And can be detrimental to the the future of your legacy that you leave behind. And sure, we remember the the great things that someone does in their lifetime, but one wrong move can tarnish everything that you've worked for and so I, I I look at that and think about that and I realize that's not what I want for my life you know I want to continue keeping the right people around me so that I make the right choices in life so these these um, crumbs that I'm leaving and blueprints that I'm creating can be used and that people can look back on my life and say, wow, she did all of this, you know, or I can look back on my life when this comes to my end and I can say, wow, I did so much and not be, um, afraid about it or afraid that people find out that, you know, if I made a couple mistakes here or there, Well, that if those mistakes that I made, that they're not so bad, that it ruins everything that I work for. Hopefully I don't make them, but you know, we all human. We, 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 you know, make a couple bad turns here or there, but I never want for people to dig up my past and look at what I've done and say, oh, wow, she did so much, but this overshadows everything. This bad thing, this one bad thing, or a couple bad things overshadow everything. And so I wanted to bring her up today because I'm thinking of, you know, some 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 other projects that I want to do. And I feel like understanding and knowing where I come from, you know, these women are a part of my legacy. They they are women of my community. Um, women of my culture and who am I to live this life and do this work and not even give them props or praise for what they've accomplished and what they've done and although they may have some things that 
um, that they may not have been proud of that have happened in their lives. I'm sure um, Miss Wigley, you know, wouldn't have wanted to 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 transition into you know the afterlife in the condition that she was in financially, but uh, I'm sure she's also proud of the work that she's done and uh, the life that she led up until that point. And so I just wanted to give her acknowledgement to today as I will do the others in the coming weeks because they are who I'm looking to for inspiration to continue moving forward and to continue this journey that I am on as an author. And I hope you enjoyed this today. I hope it inspires you to go, if you didn't know about Phyllis Wheatley or heard of her or have heard of Phyllis Wheatley, that, you know, it at least opens your eyes a little bit and make you want to learn more about her because she was a, you know, she was a dynamic woman. She wrote about religion. Um, she has some really poignant, um, poems, um, that were thought provoking and, um, and well-respected of the time. And so I just really wanted to um, bring her to the forefront and, and lift her up and lift her name and say her name today. And so I appreciate the time. Hey, 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 everybody. So now we're getting into the nitty gritty. One of my favorite parts of the show, you all know it as my sip of the week. And this week, since we're wrapping up the summer, you know, those lazy days by the pool, if you have them, um, hot, <laughs> you know, it's like literally <laughs> uh, the weather is squeezing out the last little bit of heat for us. And so I wanted to pick a, uh, a sip this week that I completely love. I love, um, sipping on this drink during the summertime. Um, it bears my name. <laughs> Actually, one of my good friends calls me this name, uh, this drink. Um, and today, um, I chose a recipe that I found on Pinterest, um, by missingthekitchen.com. And it is for the pineapple Mai Tai cocktail. And so, yes, I have a really close friend, um, love her to death, and she calls me Mai Tai. And so what you're going to need for this, this recipe, you will need pineapple juice, lime juice, light rum, gold rum, dark rum, triple sec, amaretto liqueur, ice, pineapple chunks, and maraschino cherries. Now, um, here's how you're going to make it. Um, you're going to fill your cocktail shaker with about four to five ice cubes. Then you're going to add the pineapple juice, lime juice, light rum, gold rum, triple second amaretto, and add the top to the shaker and shake vigorously. Then you're going to take that, strain it into a glass filled with ice, and pour the dark rum onto the top of each of your cocktail glasses. 
garnish with your pineapple and maraschino cherries if you'd like and there you have it um, this particular recipe from the missinakitchen.com uh, makes two large cocktails and it's easy to double the recipe um, as stated on the, the website it's easy to double the recipe as needed and can also be missed in a picture for a crowd now when I make it you know I make enough for me to sip on for a while you do what you want but I wanted you to have this particular cocktail for the excerpt for chapter three um uh three's a charm that we're about to get into so grab your sip and join me as we get into the next piece um from chapter three uh three's a charm and uh while you're doing that i hope you enjoy it but make sure you drink responsibly everybody so today I will be reading an excerpt from chapter three of my second novel three's a charm and I will just tell you is this book was just so fun to write and so um in chapter three we get into uh Monica and Derek coming together for the first time in years It was officially the holiday for lovers. Once, Valentine's Day had been so special between her and Adam, and now she couldn't bear to look at his face. Today had become like any other work day for Monica, and she had been so busy the past few weeks that she still hadn't responded to the email Derek Longwood had sent her weeks earlier. When things bother her, or she wasn't sure how she wanted to handle them, her strategy was to allow her work and other demanding parts of her life, life to take over and just lay low. In her heart, she wasn't really ready to face Derek. Things between them had ended so suddenly in college. Isaac had been right about her, changing demeanor when talking about him at lunch that day. She had been seeing a lot of Isaac lately. They'd become so comfortable talking to one another. Monica had begun to share more about her relationship with Adam and Isaac shared how he dealt with his ex-wife, Christina's behavior. Adam's actions were much like what he'd experienced with his ex-wife and he advised Monica to be careful. Texting between the two had become a common occurrence and meeting up for coffee breaks had taken her mind off Adam and how she should reply to Derek's email. The intercom on her office phone buzzed and was followed by her executive assistant, Don, announcing, Mrs. Starro, there is a Derek Longwood here to see you. What in the world? Why did he feel the need to come here? I am so not ready to do this and go through this with him. It's too much history between us. Sure, Don. Send him in. Good morning, Monica. And happy Valentine's Day. Derek said as he stood in the doorway of Monica's office. He wore a navy, single-breasted, three-button wool overcoat 
and carried a bouquet of pink lilies and red roses. It was quite chilly for the holiday, but it was typical Boston weather. Derek, what in the world? What are you doing here? I was not expecting you today. Monica looked surprised as Derek walked in looking debonair and suave. He handed her the flowers and flashed her a dazzling smile. Derek was still a charmer. He had always known how to get what he wanted. He removed his overcoat and hung it on her coat stand by the door. Derek was so fresh and clean that Monica could hear the outcast song, so fresh and so clean, playing her head as he walked into the office. I apologize for dropping by your office unannounced like this, but a brother had to see you because you didn't respond to my email. He showed off his million dollar smile again. Matching Derek's million dollar smile was his taste in clothing, his entire appearance. He was clean cut with just a thin mustache that was perfectly trimmed. His hair was thick and wavy and his haircut was faded to perfection. He was Will Smith and Bad Boy's movie kind of fine. He was tall, fit and toned. Anyone can see that he took care of his body. His skin was impeccable. Monica was in a daze and stared at him in his tailored fit Italian suit from the 1913 collection by Halls and Curtis. He wore a white poplin slim fit shirt with a single cuff with the royal blue herringbone linen suit. Damn, I could get lost in this vision of male profession. Yes, uh, about that, Monica began. May I? Derek gestured towards the seat directly in front of Monica. Of course, please have a seat, she said eagerly. Derek straightened his light pink silk paisley tie before taking a seat. And from his navy fleur de lis cufflinks to his tan suda mantelassi dress shoes. Derek was a walking, talking billboard of class and style but he was still down to earth. He didn't lose himself in becoming the man that he was. He was still active in the community and represented Roxbury to the fullest. So, (laughs) Derek was a fun character. Like, I really enjoyed writing about him. And I really wanted to introduce him to the story in this way because um, I wanted him to seem like he was arrogant, but he really wasn't. He was really a cool down-to-earth guy. And I really wanted Darren Longwood to be so fly and intelligent. And I wanted the visual that my readers to receive when they read about him is to think about Omari Hardwick as ghost in power or when he played in um, um, Being Mary Jane. I believe at the time I was watching the series as well. And so it was easy for me to make the connection of what I wanted Derek to look like 
in this moment at this time in this book um based on what I was seeing and what I was thinking whenever I looked at this particular guy Omari Hardwick so I kind of based him on him and then also um I wanted a guy that was clean cut that's a lawyer you know his background is in in law as well that's how him and Monica met in college and dated and so I wanted something I wanted someone who is completely opposite of what you're gonna get when you see Isaac later on so um and this part of the story it starts off very simple very you know um um innocent you know but as you can see there are definitely feelings there that unresolved feelings from Monica from their college years that she hasn't dealt with as well and so those feelings are starting to come to the forefront and they get stronger as the book proceeds on but if you have not read the story I hope that this prompts you to take a look go back and check it out and pick it up again if you want to get the book if you don't have the book it is available on Amazon now you can search it by uh, three's a charm in my name and I hope that if you have read the book please consider writing me a review um, if you loved it or liked it I greatly appreciate the reviews because it helps me to be able to get my book in front of other readers who may not have been able to get the exposure to my books um, without your review so thank you so much for listening to this excerpt I will have another one for you next time hi guys I just want to say thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the purple charm experience I hope you enjoyed it but in the meantime in between time I hope that you will also take a moment to check out my website www.creativecalfrey.com where you can find more information about me, my books, my merchandise, and more. Also, while you're there, I hope you, you will sign up for my newsletter by subscribing. If you also want to receive exclusive content and merchandise that pertains to this podcast, please sign up for my Patreon page by becoming a member. And finally, if you really enjoy listening to this podcast, please consider sharing with your friends and family. I appreciate it and they deserve to get this great information too. So until we meet again, I'll see you next time. Bye.